Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 222 for Monday, December 5th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is the transformative Pixar of Hello, sir. Hello. Yeah, speaking of Transformers, we've been talking a lot about Transformers and Joel's ad- continuing adventures in Lego uh, with the Back to the Future Lego set, the DeLorean, looking splendid so far and looking forward to seeing more of that on your Lego Let's Chats. In the meantime, if you want to hear more of us chatting, you can get the extended conversation where we talk about all of this stuff from patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. We call it the render distance uh, is the extended version of the podcast and you can get it by becoming a patron over there. It is the first episode of the month, so of course course we want to thank our patrons for their generous support throughout 2022 because it's also the last month of the year it's not the last show of the year but we are going to take a couple of breaks from recording over the holiday season because christmas and new year are usually big markers on the calendar for us so we might end up pre-recording a couple of episodes for the main feed in a couple of weeks time just so that you folks have some stuff to listen to over the holiday season but we don't have to sit in our offices recording it when we could be spending time with family the next monthly minecraft hangout with our patrons is going to be taking place in january because we usually do those at the end of the year and obviously people are going to have other concerns but once again we want to thank our patrons for their support into 2023 so what have you been up to in minecraft this week i have been cleaning up (laughs) i've been doing a lot of cleanup because as i think i mentioned in the last episode uh one of the sort of fallouts from um the the storyline that's going on in in empires with the hermits visiting and everything was that cub fan uh, got possessed by the skulk and so he ended up placing skulk catalysts everywhere under people's bases and there were a whole lot of them like more than you'd imagine was reasonable but it's cub he he never does anything by halves so um i've been making that a good excuse to tie up another ongoing storyline where I'm bartering with each of the empires for uh, a trinket that's been left to them by Rendog as one of his like first 13 items that he gathered on the server. And so once everybody notices all of the skulk spreading around their bases, I turn up and say, hi, uh, do you want me to clean that up for you? Because I've been kind of teaching myself a bit more about Lightmatica. And thanks to my stream chat, they've given me Uh, a really useful way of detecting where the skulk catalysts are um, using like the Lightmatica schematic verifier. So I'm limiting my use of that to just skulk catalysts because obviously it could be exploitable to find all kinds of other rare resources that I'm not really interested in depriving myself of the gameplay of finding those. Um, But the skulk catalysts are just going to be spreading skulk whenever mobs die on the surface. So I decided I would help people clean up in exchange for whatever, you know, renamed wooden pickaxe and piece of cobblestone and stuff that Rendog has been giving them. So we're we're kind of tying things up as far as the Empire's Hermitcraft collab stuff goes. The Hermits are trying to make their way home in the storyline right now. So we're kind of playing that out and seeing where that goes. But overall, it's been kind of a week of housekeeping for me. Are you excited to get back to a a more linear i guess way of telling stories on empires i mean as fun as it is i imagine it's been very busy it has been very busy i think the thing that's really fallen by the wayside is my ability to just get on and build and it's not that anyone's necessarily interrupting me with that it's that i always want to be online to 
participate in anything that has that happens to be happening at the time yeah. or i worked on a larger farm project like the wither skeleton farm so i felt like if anybody wanted you know beacons and wither fights and some of the more iconic stuff to happen in their episodes then i could help provide stuff for that but that's meant that i haven't spent a lot of time in my creative world where i've been trying to plan out some of the builds for the ancient capital and have more monumental stuff built there so yeah i feel like i'm looking forward to getting back to that and the interactiveness and the you know the chaos that's been unfolding at the time has been really fun it's been fun just to have such an active feeling server after a few months where people would be you know away for a couple of weeks or have other commitments and it felt like we came into empire season two with a lot of enthusiasm but less time as opposed to last time around where we felt like we were dedicating a lot of time to it without really knowing what we had on our hands and then it kind of built from there so yeah i think while obviously it'll be great to hang out with the hermits some more while we can, I think it'll be nice to get back into a routine where I can feel like I'm back in the, the base building groove. It's funny how like excursions like that are, are fun deviations, but then when you've got a big project on the go, even when I'm having like frustrating times with it, I still, if I'm in the middle of something, and this is, I know this is a, a personal... I'm not sure what to, how to describe it. I, I would think of it as a fault of mine. If I'm doing something and I'm interrupted mid doing something, I I feel very like I really want to get back to finishing what I was doing. Yeah. Once yeah. I'm done what I'm doing, I will give whoever interrupted me 110% of my attention. Yeah. <laughs> but it's very difficult for me to kind of like stand up in the middle of whatever I'm doing. Like I remember I used to experience this when I was production managing. I'd be writing an email or doing some sort of task and someone would come to my office door and I would physically take off my glasses and turn my chair. Otherwise, I would catch myself like looking back at the computer while mm -hmm. they're still talking to me. And if I took my glasses off, I couldn't see what was going on anyway. So it was a lot it was a lot easier to like stay focused on the person. But I could feel that pull back to the task. And I'm yeah. like that in Minecraft. If you interrupt what I'm doing in Minecraft, even if what I was doing is fun, then I, I will want to get back to the other thing as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I've, we've also been monitoring a lot of the audience reaction to some of this. And a lot of people are very excited about the fact that, you know, these two worlds are colliding and people get to have lots more fun interactions. But there is definitely a core of the Hermitcraft audience that just wants them to get back to doing Hermitcraft the way it normally is. And yeah. so, yeah, we, we've obviously planned out a lot of the, the the broad strokes of this collaboration with those people in mind and thinking people are only going to tolerate the shenanigans for so long before they want us to get back to like the big builds on hermitcraft and the base building on empires and you know all of the stuff that we are typically known for so yeah we've been we've been planning the whole collaboration with that in mind and we wanted to keep it to something that feels like it's just going to be like one of those events people look back on and go wow that was a fun few weeks before things return to normal it's like when one of your favorite sitcoms recasts an actor or recasts yeah. the character yeah absolutely you know, like you, even if it's better like you still you have to get used to it like there's a vibe change as there would be you know for the actors in the workplace but i can i can see how it's like that What's that game of yes and I always talk about where you like you you kind of have to take the ball and run with it even mm -hmm. if it's not necessarily how you would have done it or what you would have thought would be the next thing to happen you just kind of have to keep on rolling and I I would imagine that with you know the Empire Screw this is what the the second season of Empires plus you all have known each other in different venues you know over the years um 
And then you've got the Hermitcraft folks that are all tight. I would imagine that even though you're all friendly, there would still be that like different way of working. You know, like yes. Hermitcraft has got a different vibe than Empires. Both great, but like, do they work well together? Uh, or if they do, how long can that be maintained before the 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 natural groove of the two different servers kind of wants to go their own way again? Yeah, and and with Hermitcraft coming to Empires, we had a very specific objective in mind for them was that they build their own empire and that becomes the Hermit Empire on the server and that was what Hermitopia eventually became. And a few people split off from that either in the early stages or later when it seemed like the project was kind of coming to a close, they kind of went, well, wh where does this leave me? Like, what do I end up doing to start to generate more interaction or to, to find other stuff to occupy myself and find other things that really fit their style? Because, yeah, the, the roleplay stuff on Empires isn't going to be for everyone. And I feel like I was a maybe a good conduit for that because I'm not necessarily all about the roleplay either. I like doing little projects and stuff that don't have to fit any kind of story. But it's it's been fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else comes out of it, out of it in future. Uh, how about you? What's the vibe on the Citadel this week? Uh, it's been really fun, and I, I will give a shout out again uh, to Cosmic Dancer and their organization of an ABBA caving event on oh, friday night yeah uh which i won puffs out chest uh <laughs> and and i like i went into it thinking like this is going to be fun uh i had to work out a couple of technical things uh discovered the push to push to mute button on discord is way more useful than the push to talk button uh-huh yeah so so i, I sorted that out with some help from alistair uh, but once we got everything rolling um cosmic explained the rules i had never played before and we just went to a new area. I thought that they had chosen a, a random spot, but it actually was not too far from West Hill. It was actually a couple thousand blocks away. And uh, all I did was, as soon as they said go, I just took off with my Elytra and started looking for a big cave, like, mm -hmm. a, like anything. And and I found a big dripstone cave, which saved me from digging. So I, I just started grabbing whatever I could see as I was going. And the mission was just to keep on going down and down and down. I don't know what's good for Abba Caving. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but we did it for an hour, which I think is the normal rule. We did a half an hour with a break and then we did another half an hour. And every, I mean, everybody's friends on the server. It was all a friendly competition. But my final score was 965. Mm -hmm. And I had found three spawners because I found one in the dripstone cave. And then the I found an intersected um, abandoned mine shaft. And I just stopped what I was doing and just kind of like ran really quickly through the mine shaft looking for as many spawners as I could find. And nice. I ended up grabbing two more. And so that helped a lot. But I was also down in deep slate level. And what seemed to be the big winners for me was grabbing redstone and copper from the deep slate ores because mm -hmm. those were worth like five points a piece or something like that i did have a lot of copper there was a lot of copper in the dripstone cave and that was just regular copper and that wasn't worth a lot but i just had so much of it that i was like i had like three stacks or something so mm -hmm. uh it was a lot of fun uh i i very quickly re realized how dangerous uh abba caving is in 119 <laughs> yes yeah a lot They're... of dark dark areas especially deeper down in those cheese caves or whatever 
Oh man, like they're just like and huge. Like you get into a big dripstone cave, there's stuff dropping on you. Like mm-hmm. just I had like three creepers and four skeletons all coming at me at once. And it was just like the solution was run away <laughs> and then regroup and, and come back. And I did end up, I thought I was gonna switch and have a chest plate. And um, for folks that don't know, I usually only wear uh iron armor just for the extra challenge. And I didn't bother to switch it over um for this particular uh event, but um, I did keep my elytra just handy in my in my um, ender chest because very often I would see, I'd have a water bucket with me, but in the essence of time, I was like, it's just going to take me too much time to get down there. Like I can see a safe place to land. I'm just going to glide down, put my elytra away as soon as I get there and then move on. And I used it quite uh, quite frequently just to kind of illustrate how big the cave was that I was in. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of fun for two reasons. One, I mean, the, the caving and the conversation that we had and being able to chat with everybody on the server. It's the first time we've done any kind of competition that I've participated in anyway. Uh, Alistair has done some mini games and stuff in the past. Um, but it was the combination of that, but then also just the exploration, like the, just the, the brand new 119 generated terrain. Um, nothing has been touched and you're just, it's kind of the sky's the limit. And it was really fun to kind of see how far you could get, um, there was definitely some claustrophobic moments. Like I can't remember what they're called. They were like fissures or crevices or like they, they gave them a technical term in the cave generation, but they were, they was just big enough for me to, to fit through. Mm-hmm. And I just remember going through it and, and thinking like, it didn't make me uncomfortable, but I just made me thought into myself in real life, this would be a nope. Like yeah. there'd be yeah, no yeah, yeah. way that I'd be pushing my six foot one frame through this, through this little hole in the wall, not happening. Um, and so that was interesting and led to some really cool finds like deep slate gold, deep slate diamond, because you just, you end up going down so quickly, you know, cause you don't have to dig. So that was a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoyed that. And we talked about doing more stuff like that. I'm even tossing around the idea, uh, and I might pick your brain about this later about setting up a temporary server where we would do like a modded skyblock together. Oh, cool. So yeah, that, that it wouldn't like be so grindy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think Skyblock, as an individual project, can be a lot of fun, but if you if you get tired of doing farms, farms, farms constantly, then mm-hmm. having a few other people to split the responsibilities with can be really fun. And it also gives you a reason to do it beyond just, like, a YouTube series or a stream series in our case, and, and having somebody to share that stuff with. So if you want to build something in a Skyblock world that's not just for technical purposes, then other people can be there to appreciate the fact that you've built a starter house, <laughs> despite not really needing it all that much. Um, but yeah, I expect it, it was it was nice for you to uh, get out there and do some some 118 plus exploration, considering that since before 118 you've been working on West Hill, and that's not really merited a great deal of the caving and exploration that everyone's been doing since 118. No, because West Hill is built on 116 land, I yeah, want to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was around the t- the time that the the Nether update came out. Um, I have been working on it though, and I uh, I was able to put together uh, the start of some builds in the northwest corner, uh, basically the riverside kind of area. Uh, adding like a, a couple things that might attach to the tower, adding um, a couple of homes and stuff. They were there in very very loose kind of foundations over the last few months, but this is the first time I've gone in and tried to like figure out okay what's going on like. I like to go in and um, kind of plan the feel of something. And then once it starts to feel right, I'll go in and start laying out rough rooms. You know, is this going to work as a kitchen? Is this going to work, excuse me, as a main room? 
And I feel like um, I do that to make sure I don't have to like change the outside wall. Like before I start decorating something, I was like, oh, okay, if I really want this kitchen to have a fireplace, then I might have to move this wall by two blocks. And I don't want to do that after I've already decided and decorated the outside. So I went through and I was going through a, a bunch of different rooms and I'm liking the feel of it. It's turning into a quite a large build. I've added like an additional roof off to the back of it, plus a chimney. Uh, and there are two homes. And the fun part of this build, I think, in the focal point is is the walled garden that is in between them. And I'm, I'm hoping to put in like a little pond and have some benches and flowers everywhere. And both homes will have their main rooms kind of facing the garden. So I have to make a, a lot of adjustments inside for things like big windows, which means that you can't put bookshelves up against the wall there and stuff like that. And so it's been it's been challenging in that way. Also, I think I mentioned this last week where um, we've got so many builds all around. In some ways, it's great because it forces you to create a build of a certain shape and a certain size because you have no other place to go. But unfortunately, it means that there's blocks that you've used on four sides. And you're just like, well, I don't want to just copy what I've done before. And I don't want to make something that clashes. And when I'm walking down the road, I don't want this house to be too brown or too gray because then it's going to blend into the thing next to it. Sure. So I'm trying to find the right block combination. And I really wanted to do a gradient in the roof. And this is the point of frustration for me. I, I've got some things that are working, but I haven't decided which I want to actually use. There's a screenshot in our live chat that shows the um, Rubik's Cube roof <laughs> mm -hmm. right now. And I'm just running through a bunch of different ideas as to what might be the best course of action. And I really wanted to try to use bees nests. And uh, I didn't have very many. I went looking for some. Uh, and then I ended up um, bringing one or two back and then someone suggested that I start growing trees next to flowers which I completely forgot that you could do and uh, the percentage is so low that I just got frustrated I ended up with a couple of stacks of oak which I needed anyway so I just I did it for about 10 minutes on stream but I only got one uh, uh, one bees nest out of like 10 minutes of chopping down trees so um, it wasn't the best experience now um, the funny part was and this led to some interesting just stream shenanigans was that one of the beehives that I stole from the woods, it wasn't too far away and the bee followed me. It took an hour, but eventually I heard the little pop and I was like, what the? And sure enough, one of the bees that I stole their home had followed me all the way back to West <laughs> and was now like pollinating a nearby flower and then going back up into the roof and going into the hive, <laughs> yeah. or into, the, into the nest. So I had to grab him with a lead and take them into the into the basement of the keep where I had like uh, beehives set up to move the bees to, so they would stay there with flowers, and then I could you know get my own honey in, at some point. But but um, I I found that the bees nests were harder to work with than I thought. Um, I I kind of thought for whatever reason that they were yellow on the bottom and and more beige on top, but it's the reverse. Yeah. So you kind of, like they work really well if you put them next to oak, but then like what yellow block do you want to put next to them? And so that became challenging. And so I haven't yet figured out uh, what I want to do. There's only, I want to say six blocks, maybe seven in the roof vertically. So to try to find a gradient that I can work with and trying to find a roof uh, material that is not something that I've already used in like too much of. Um, my fallback plan is to make a oak roof with some decorative geometry to it and i know i can do it and i know it'll look okay but right now i'm still kind of like 
stubbornly trying to figure out what can I get going with some sort of gradient. So if you have any pointers on it, I'm not sure if you've done a gradient and a roof before, um, but uh, if you have any tips, I'm open to them because um, as much fun as it was this weekend to have that like free, like I'm just, I'm not really refining anything. I'm just kind of throwing ideas at this house and seeing what sticks. Um, you don't feel very accomplished by the end of it because you haven't really finished anything, but um, I'm I'm really looking forward. I can feel that the build will look good. It's just that I'm at that frustrating point where I haven't made any decisions yet. Yeah, yeah. I've done roof gradients before, but I don't recall any that are quite like this. So it's it's tricky. But like, as usual, I point people to Gemini Tay just as a, mm -hmm. a great example of a builder who uses gradients wonderfully in basically everything she does. Um, but yeah, I, I do like the using natural bee nests as, as part of that. And you've already you've got some jungle wood in one of these screenshots in part of the roof that i'm thinking that looks like it blends into the bottom of the bee nest better even than oak does at, at times so that that could almost be part of it but then yeah it's how you get away from the yellow part unless the yellow part is the very top line of the roof and that's really meant to look like the sun is shining on it at which point yeah. you've got to try and emulate that with some of the other materials as well to really sell it so that's that's quite a difficult one but worth experimenting with and it's just fun to get yourself out of the you know the usual corner of this is just going to be one of you know roof type b that that you've done elsewhere you know like you can you can fall back into old habits and that kind of thing or you can try and branch out and see what you like or don't like about techniques like this i think the main thing to that i would normally stick to is that if you're including a variety of materials in there then trying to make sure that they all have the same flow of texture so with bee nests and with planks they've all got lines across the middle in roughly the same places same with stuff like yeah. composters and whatnot and you've obviously got hay bales in here as well and while the grain of the hay as it's been bundled is horizontal the way you placed it the bands that are wrapping around it are vertical and i find that that throws stuff off a little bit and it becomes more obvious that there are different types of blocks there the other thing to remember about gradients is that they're almost always better when viewed at a distance so you'll find that you like them less when you're taking up close screenshots of them because what they're really meant to do is provide that natural sort of blend of color that when you see it from a distance looks a lot more linear than when you're looking at it up close and you're seeing the geometry of the roof and you're seeing individual blocks that way and it can be difficult to shake your mind out of that mindset when you've been building for a while and you've been building all of this stuff up close so i really think stepping back and taking a look at it is a better metric by which to decide do i like the look of this roof once the gradient's in there yeah i definitely need to find a vantage point that's far enough away uh, i have a, a far enough away point in the other direction uh the gable i can get quite far away and see it but the the roof um the side of it the 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 shingled side i have to be a little bit farther away i think before i can make that you know arrangement i think too something that just dawned on me is that i've been kind of stuck on a single gradient from the very peak of the roof all the way down to the bottom whereas i could do a simple gradient of maybe two or three blocks and just repeat it yeah. There, something you said about having the bees nests be like the top of the roof i could have that at every high point like there's the top there's about a 
third of the way down and then there's like another ridge at the bottom and the whole roof could be a lot more yellow which was what i wanted to try and accomplish anyway yeah so that could be good i just don't really feel like getting that many bees nests i'm not sure how many that would be but we're looking at probably <laughs> at least a half a stack and that's going to take an eon yeah so there is that um but uh thanks like i i, I definitely I'm still in the the early stages of it. And I, I can definitely tell from other gradients that I've tried that one of the problems I have in Westill is the scale that I'm working at. Yeah. And yeah. in order to do it successfully, I might have to pick pick and choose my battles. Like maybe if I change the, uh, the keep, I do have plans to increase the roof size on the keep. And if I do it there, I will probably have more like 12 blocks to work with. And that mm -hmm. might, might be a little bit more realistic in terms of being able to, one, have the number of blocks needed, but also from a distance would look really cool compared to just like something that's half the size. This is like what, six or nine blocks. So, uh, but we'll see. Thanks, man. Yeah. Like it's, it's, um, it's definitely a learning process. And these are the last two new builds in, in the town. Like after this, I'm going to be refining stuff and doing textures and having like little small builds added to it. But these are the last few buildings that are actually, there's no more room within the walls where we're at capacity. Nice. So yeah, I, I can see you wanting to get those done before 1.20 arrives and you get the yellow wood option of bamboo planks. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, maybe something better saved for a future build instead of, you know, leaving this roof undone until then. Speaking of the future, let's grab some news. Minecraft Java Edition 1.19.3 pre-release 3 came out November 29th. In the bug fixes for pre-release 3, a shulker box still plays shulker closes sounds even if destroyed or replaced, and in certain circumstances, chests, trapped chests, and barrels do not open after respawning. Dying whilst the shulker box GUI will spam the um, shulker closes sound effect, and villagers and piglins no longer seek out items, and the note underscore block underscore sound data is lost when breaking a player head. These and many other bugs can be found in the list of changes in pre-release 3 for 1.19.3. We've also had release candidates, release candidate 1 and 2 for 1.19.3. Uh, the second was posted just during our pre-show, so we had to make a couple of adjustments here on the fly. Uh, smooth lighting in can candidate 1 has a minimum and maximum level uh, they were not changing. That's been fixed. And pick block doesn't work on the Ender Dragon. And you're like, wait, what? The Ender Dragon? It's like, yes, when you pick block uh, 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 an Ender Dragon, you want the, the uh, player to get the egg for the dragon if you're in, say, like a creative situation. So that has been fixed. In release candidate two, with this release candidate, we, that's Mojang, are reverting a behavior change for translation strings due to a prevalent but unsupported use case expect this behavior to be changed in the future to provide a supported alternative. Also, slots like percent %s in translations no longer ignore missing elements in width and cannot join LAN world while offline. These bugs in Release Candidate 2 have been fixed. I believe we're looking at tomorrow for a full release, correct? So correct. So yes. 1.19.3, whatever that means. Uh, should be coming out tomorrow. In the meantime, Bedrock Edition update 1.19.50 is now available. Spectator mode has finally made its way into a full release of Minecraft Bedrock Edition. Previously behind the experimental toggle, this is now accessible in regular gameplay. When cheats are enabled, players can go in and out of spectator mode using the usual personal game mode options in world settings or the command slash game mode spectator. 
The article that we have linked in our show notes continues to explain the features of spectator mode, but we're skipping over most of that since we're familiar with it from Java Edition. If you're unfamiliar with it, it is definitely worth a read. Also, new touch controls are now enabled in touch devices by default. Players can choose between a joystick and tap to interact, a joystick and aim crosshair, or a D-pad and tap to interact, as three different control schemes. The seven new default skins are now available from the dressing room on Bedrock Edition. They've also updated the model and texture of the Vex with this release. The Vex also retains a slightly larger hitbox, as it does on Java, to make it easier to fight. A variety of other parity changes and bug fixes that we've covered in Bedrock Edition betas in previous editions of this show are now implemented as of this update. So once again, tune into the changelog if you want to see those. And the experimental toggle now focuses on features for the next major update, including things like bamboo wood, chiseled bookshelves, etc. that previously were just covered in betas. I, I mean, admittedly, I'm not a Bedrock player. I've messed around a little bit on the Xbox just to kind of have that controller experience and be able to talk about the contrast of, of that with playing Java with a mouse on the PC. Uh, but I always want to applaud the the work that goes into the parity changes because it feels like every time they are updating Bedrock and we we share that news on the show, that there's a long list of like parity changes that bring the two versions closer together. Everything's more consistent. Um, obviously, a, a spectator mode is huge. Yeah, and I think spectator mode might even be a big milestone on the roadmap to implementing hardcore mode um I, I do wonder if that's their end game because a lot of players have been very interested in hardcore mode on java edition in recent years and i expect a lot of the player base is wondering why that's not available on bedrock and so i wonder if spectator mode being implemented is one of the things along the way to getting hardcore mode implemented on bedrock or if there are still any kind of other roadblock there from a development standpoint. It's been my speculation for a while that they didn't implement hardcore mode because it meant deleting your world. And I got the sense that console manufacturers and maybe even like the Apple file system weren't too keen on stuff like that just being deleted because of gameplay going wrong. Um, and so I do wonder if there is potentially still something there that's preventing them from implementing hardcore mode there's also the occasional issues with unfortunate deaths due to bugs on bedrock edition more frequently than there are on java so i'm i'm wondering if maybe they're trying to iron out a few of those along the way uh one other thing i will say about spectator mode is that uh prowl8413 friend of the show he was on a previous episode talking about parity between bedrock and java highlighted his concerns on twitter this week about the future of minecraft rtx on bedrock edition and retweeted uh one of the folks who's been you know working on rtx resource packs and, and pbr resource packs for rtx um, unfortunately, there are rendering issues with RTX when using spectator mode. As you clip through the scenery, you can see the inside faces of blocks, which means you can't see through walls into caves and other enclosed environments. You see the, the wall of the cave that you would emerge out of if you flew through it. So a lot of it becomes more opaque than it should be using standard spectator mode. And... I think a lot of the people who have been working with Minecraft RTX for a while now are kind of left wondering whether it's going to see continued development or not, or if it's just going to be like uh, a fun tool in people's toolkit, but isn't really adapting to a more modern approach to Minecraft Bedrock Edition. 
I can see how the flashing, like the, this kind of this, the screen flashing that would happen of not being able to see through walls when you're traveling around in spectator mode would be really hard to deal with. Like if you have any kind of visual issues like that would be i would probably get a headache you know what i mean yeah like you spend yeah. a lot of time like if you're so like if you're, if you're developing a map or like you're you're you know maybe you're judging an abba caving run and you've got to fly around and look at everybody like whatever it is that you're you're doing like that would be really really tedious and, and hard on the eyes hard to deal with um hopefully they'll they'll fix that uh i you know it's funny when you brought up the rtx thing because i was hoping for more for windows 10 uh, and my uh, Minecraft RTX, because when I first saw it, I thought, okay, wow, now this is, this is something that I could really get on board with. It felt really creative. Uh, I was frustrated that I didn't have the capability to run it on my computer. Um, because I mean, one, I needed an RTX card, but two, I don't even know if I, even if I had an RTX card, I don't think my system could handle it. My system can't handle shaders right now. Um, especially if I'm streaming. So like that to me was like a far off thing, but, uh, as much kind of cool factor and as much press as it got within the minecraft community early on i really haven't heard boo about it in quite a long time and it starts to remind me of like the the sizzle reel that you might see at like a super cool shader pack or you know some other thing in minecraft but it's like well that's cool and all but if i if it doesn't have any real gameplay applications like if i can't play the game or if it doesn't like it might make minecraft look cool but once you start building with it, if things start to look really strange, like I, I start to think about those shader packs that look really great in terms of like the landscape and the mountains and the trees and the grass, they all look fantastic. But when you start to build square buildings out of everything, it starts to fall apart, like things that are too high res or whatever. And so they just end up being like a, well, this is cool looking, but it's not all that practical. And I'm wondering if Minecraft RTX has fallen into that kind of like it was a cool thing. It was a cool exercise of technology. Minecraft was a cool way to showcase that technology. Um, but ultimately it just, it just doesn't seem to, uh, to have caught on. And the thing, something that I was, I was wishing would happen. And we were just talking about this on the Citadel cafe a few weeks ago and myself and Alistair, he was talking about online, which was an old now defunct, um, remote service where you would you know a very robust system would play the game and you would just use the internet and you would play remotely and i've got access to xcloud via xbox game pass and only if it's a casual game does it feel seamless if it's anything that has any kind of graphics you notice immediately now to be fair my xbox is currently on wi-fi it's not plugged in but i still have 100 megabit symmetrical i shouldn't have an issue uh, if it, if the game is working and xCloud is working the way that it should, I was really hoping, and, I, and I'm sure that RTX is just far too high, uh, far too intense, I guess, for this kind of thing. But I was hoping to get access to RTX on my PC because I have windows, uh, 10 bedrock or windows 10 edition rather. And my PC is obviously hardwired and it's a beefy enough PC to stream and do all the things that I want to do with it, but it's not quite there for RTX. And I thought that if RTX ever made it to xCloud, I was like, that is going to be my ticket to give it a go because then I won't have to invest $1,000 into an RTX card just to try Minecraft RTX. And it hasn't caught on to the point where I could even justify buying the hardware. So my next step would be, you know, remote. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's difficult with the RTX thing in particular because while... I expect Mojang has a lot of people, you know, in, in their employee who can work on stuff like this. RTX seem to be a very 
close collaboration between them and NVIDIA because it's proprietary NVIDIA graphics card technology that makes a lot of this stuff possible and more seamless. So I think part of the issue there is that it's a an ongoing evolving product minecraft is whereas if you're just developing rtx capabilities for a game like cyberpunk 2077 or call of duty you end up with a finite product that once you've implemented rtx you don't have to keep up with what it's doing in future unless say there's like dlc or something like that but with minecraft being a constantly evolving thing you have to develop a continuous relationship with the people who are helping you implement it in the game if you're getting help to do it. And I assume that whatever relationship is there was really there for a fixed time for them to develop Minecraft RTX for the current version of Minecraft at the time and then not necessarily continue that in perpetuity. So either the project gets handed over to somebody else or it falls by the wayside and ends up not really continuing as Minecraft's development does, which is a real shame. And I don't want to do too much speculation here about that because I don't know what's going on with it behind the scenes, but that would be my assumption, is that NVIDIA helped them implement it for Minecraft at the time, and it still exists as part of their rendering engine, but it's not really something they can continue to develop on their own as new features as big as spectator mode get added into Bedrock Edition Minecraft. Yeah, to me, it felt like it was a great partnership with NVIDIA to pair with the most popular video game on the planet to showcase RTX. Yeah. As opposed to Minecraft is going to have RTX from now on. You know what I mean? Like that, there's, there was a distinct difference for sure. Yeah. So let's talk 119.3 very briefly before we move on to the emails. Um, are you planning on updating the Citadel to 119.3? I, yeah, and I'm hoping to do it soon because we actually skipped 119.2. We're still running oh, okay. point, point 0.1 uh, just out of time constraints. And I think 2 came out just like I was getting ready to update 1 and then 2 came out. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to wait and see. And then with Minecraft Live and the announcement of the minor updates uh, and just not having the time to go through and update a bunch of mods and things like that, I decided like, okay, well, now that we have a release date for 1.19.3, I checked with my server mates and said, look, it's a lot of work to update. Are we cool with just waiting a couple of weeks? And then once 19.3 is out and the mods that we're using are up to date, we will switch and, and move over because there's always a pain period. Like there's always a, a period, even when the mods are updated and when Minecraft um, is updated, there still seems to be a point where my machine doesn't quite run the way that it's supposed to, or the server isn't running quite the way that it's supposed to. So um, it's difficult in that way. I also have to wait for the, my hosting provider to allow me to update because it's not always day one. Yeah. So now with the release candidates and the um, pre-releases uh, and, and all the data that we've been getting over the last few weeks, and the fact that all of the mods that we use on the Citadel are fabric, usually those update quite quickly. I've seen a number of, of versions of the different fabric mods coming through, but they're all 19.2 versions right now. I haven't looked into the 19.3, but usually it's only a couple of days. And mm -hmm. I don't usually have the time like day of to update stuff. And usually, again, because this is my job a lot of the time, I don't want to update day one because if anything goes wrong, then that can screw up a stream. It can be very frustrating. So I'll probably wait about a week. So it'll come out tomorrow. I'll probably stream this weekend on 19.2. 
I might have some free time over the holidays uh, to do the update and, and let the dust settle before we get into the new year. So I do hope to be on 19.3 before before the new year. And uh, I'm also struggling to refresh my memory as to what that actually means. I know there's a lot <laughs> of bug fixes and stuff, um, but I'll have to just go through back to the original snapshot posts and, and read through uh, read through the posts. If only there was a podcast that I could go and listen to and get the rundown <laughs> of what changes are happening in one nineteen three. Uh, I might recognize a couple of voices, but uh, yeah, that's so that's the plan. Is we are going to update. It's just a matter of what mods and when. If you uh, don't have time to listen back through our old episodes of the podcast or comb the change logs, I will recommend the Minecraft wiki. They do a fantastic mm, job of collating mm-hmm. what features actually apply to which update, and their article about one nineteen dot three has listed them. And they usually do this for every major and most minor updates and the snapshots. So there's plenty of information there. And it is a lot of under the hood stuff. It's a lot of new command formats, the new game rules about whether blocks drop things after they've been exploded by various sources, that kind of thing. And snow accumulation height and and things like that are are being implemented as minor changes in 19.3. So I expect we'll see... A few people updating to that, but it's not necessarily a priority. It's certainly not for Empires, because we've had a custom mod coded for us in 119 from the beginning, and I think updating that to some of the minor releases, if we're not using the features from the minor releases, is sort of superfluous to our requirements. I think the only thing I would want from the last few releases, really, would be the opportunity to duplicate allays, and even then, people aren't champing at the bit to use them. It would just be convenient on the off chance that people wanted them so yeah aside from that i don't think i'm gonna really interact with it until i go back into survival guide stuff in the new year and even then a lot of the changes don't really affect survival gameplay so much as creative and map making stuff so we'll we'll see what uh features make themselves known for now uh let's move on to chunk mail uh, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. This email comes in from By the Horns, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord, and the subject is Profession Sounds. Hey, Joel and Pix, your discussion on adding sound to your Minecraft world and the upcoming mob head and note block interactions got me thinking about the custom village in my world, which feels a bit lifeless, and how I could go about adding sounds to it. A couple of ideas were hits, like adding lava in the floor and water columns in the walls of my witch's alchemist shop to make the bubbling sounds you'd associate with cauldrons, or adding a conveyor on a clock that drops an anvil every so often in my blacksmith's shop to make it sound like hammering is being done, or maybe an apprentice knocking over a weapon rack. I quickly realised, though, that there are a lot of profession-based sounds that I couldn't replicate unless it was villagers working at workstations, and even then it was limited, although for the butcher it's probably for the best. That's when it hit me. What if villager workstations got the same upcoming functionality that mob heads are getting, like multiple sounds when using a stone cutter or an anvil? They'd probably need to add some new sounds for things like the blast furnace, smoker, and fletching table. I think it could really add a ton of atmosphere. I was hoping to hear your thoughts about the idea and maybe other blocks you think could get similar treatment. By the horns died while doing foley work, but then again, you might just be hearing things. (laughs) That's a clever outro. I like that. Uh, I like the idea of putting a profession block on top of a note block to play a profession noise. You could hide the note block, power it with a redstone clock based on your needs, and potentially have some really cool stuff happening. I was just saying the other day that I wish there was a way I could permanently light a furnace to be burning, making the crackling noise. Uh, It glows a little bit when it's smelting something. Uh, So I could use that as a way to decorate 
my town. So not every fireplace in my town has a crackling campfire in it. Usually uh, I'll mix it up and have like a wood stove or uh, in smaller places, it's kind of nice to have a, a furnace with a pipe coming at the top of it, like a, a, a cobblestone wall. And it looks like, you know, someone would have a small wood burning stove, but it's always unlit. It feels very cold and lifeless. And the ability to somehow have a um, furnace burning, but not smelting anything. So you're not getting any, you're not getting infinite fuel. Like you're not able to smelt anything in it, but just being able to turn it on uh, in a way would be very, very cool. Halfway there would be hiding a campfire somewhere and hearing the crackle. Um, but that's not always what you want to do. And uh, I can see this being really useful for things like um, the, um, like the anvil sounds, uh, the stonecutter sounds. Um, I, I like the stonecutter sounds quite a lot. And I feel like you could have, um, I don't think we have, does, does the crafting bench make any like sawing noises or am I making that up in my head? I don't think it does. Uh, I, I think historically it hasn't. No, I think because we craft so many things, I think it might get a little old after a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like things like the smithing table and whatnot, they, I think they've got a lot of really good sounds to them. So yeah, like I, I, I wouldn't mind this as functionality. I think it's, we're at the point now where we're into feature creep in a sense like we're, we're, mm -hmm. we're at the point now where we've seen them do something new and interesting with note blocks and we just want control over every sound effect in the game <laughs> at this point like and i think that's a good thing i think it's it's good for players to want to make their their areas feel a little bit more alive without having to worry about villagers being absolutely everywhere and so forth so i think that that makes a good deal of sense and there are a few neat ways you can incorporate sounds without having to worry as much about triggering sound effects and stuff the bobbling columns in in the walls is a really cool idea uh, i had a friend back in the day who i don't know if he plays minecraft too much anymore but he was a prodigy at, at some of this stuff and he ended up putting guardians in his attic at one point so it sounded like a haunted house because of the moaning sounds that they make when they're mm -hmm. in water and not like flapping around and i thought that was a really interesting touch even if you did occasionally see the tail coming up through the roof uh, <laughs> but i think it was um yeah such a such a neat idea to incorporate more ambient sound into that stuff i'm not sure if the note block is the right way to do that but your only alternative then is to leap into a creative mode kind of capacity and have sound effects triggered by command blocks every so often which is something you can do if you really want to create that kind of environment and that atmosphere but it's probably not something people are at all considering doing in worlds that they normally play in survival it could be something as simple as redstone powering a profession block i mean it could be yeah yeah that's not you know? too bad of a, a suggestion i don't know how many people would use like i mean maybe composters end up getting used a fair bit in um redstone contraptions but most often right. it's because of the interaction with hoppers that you know their capacity ends up getting used anyway so if you power something with a composter it's going to make the same noises as if you're you know actually using it and that's probably happening somewhere in your system if you need a composter there anyway there's yeah there's some, some interesting stuff there I don't, I don't mind that as an idea I actually used the water trick. Uh, I, it was something I did by accident, but I've used it a couple times and we'll plan on, on doing it specifically throughout West Hill. And that's along the river, which is still because that's how Minecraft water works. If you hide running water somewhere nearby, when you go down to a dock, you can hear the water running. 
mm-hmm. and it's just it's just enough to trick your brain in, into into thinking that there's there's some water happening. Um, and I've I've thought often about uh, trying to hide like a bubble column somewhere too. You know, um, I've done it on purpose where I've seen the the soul sand and created like bubbles at the base of a small waterfall. Um, by the way, don't do it in a koi pond; you'll kill all your fish. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but uh, it does it like even the vi- like the combination of the visual with the running water like it really does a lot uh, for, for the very still water in Minecraft. So um, there are definitely some cool tricks there. I, the lava thing would be a good idea for the bubbling effect too. I'm I'm trying to think like it's too bad that they're. I know that a lot of the cool noises in the nether are linked to the biomes and not necessarily to the material because you wouldn't want to go and build with basalt in the overworld and have your house like crackling yeah, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's too bad that there aren't a few more things that you could do like that that would have like similar sound effects. And the the funny thing that happened to me there on stream this weekend with the bee popping in and out of the of the bee's nest, that is such a distinct noise. And it's not, I don't know if you could use it for anything else, but it would be very silly. Uh, and it would be kind of, I almost want to hide a bee situation somewhere on the server under someone's build so they can kind of have that pop happen every once in a while. Yeah. It's such a, it's not a threatening thing. It's like a very friendly, like that was a peculiar sound. Where the heck did that come from? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that could be, um, could be used for for fun like you could even have it at like a maybe a carnival with like whack-a-mole there's there's a bunch of different implementations but yeah it would be fun to have more control over that stuff i think i think that was something etho did on a previous season of hermitcraft he just hid bees under everybody's floors uh anybody who like signed up to a service that was like pest control and what it turned out to be was like <laughs> you know i'm controlling the pests to be underneath your floor or something like that right clever our next email comes from Rosie or Snow Rose 77, a landscape artist member of our community, changing block appearances. Hello, Johnny and Joel, big fan and patron. In the last episode, you talked about making the soundscape of a base, and I loved Joel. Uh, I loved it. Joel mentioned liking the twinkling sound of amethyst, but not always wanting the purple color or having to use carpet. I remembered that green amethyst is a thing in real life. It can be made by heating or irradiating regular purple amethyst. This got me thinking, inventory space aside, what if we could have more blocks by changing the ones we already have? Irradiation may be tricky in Minecraft, but what about the array of furnaces that we have? Amethyst can uh, be put in a blast furnace. It could be made into green amethyst. Wood logs or planks in a smoker could be charred wood. Imagine most of the wood types will give you the same output. Same with chests. What other blocks do you think would be changed or remade? What crafting or furnace stations could be used? Rosie died trying to irradiate amethyst. Oh, yeah, got to be careful with that. Um, I'm going to skip over what my immediate thought would be because it's the boring option of like, well, we can just retexture amethyst (laughs) at this point. Like we can just implement a resource pack that makes amethyst look like whatever you want it to. And that way you don't have to worry about the the amethyst. It would make geodes look incredibly weird (laughs) if you if you turned up to a geode and inside it just looked like wood planks or whatever you wanted to disguise the amethyst as. And of course, on servers, you've got to rely on everybody having the same resource packs. So it's not the ideal solution, but I do like the idea of there there being science and kind of learning about a chemical reaction of sorts to make green amethyst by putting it in a furnace. That's an interesting thing. And I suppose there are a few blocks already that set a precedent for that, like terracotta and glazed terracotta. It's not adding any functionality to the block, really, except maybe 
it can't be pulled by slime blocks or something but there's there's not a huge amount there that's changing other than the aesthetics i like the idea of using in-game mechanics to get more block textures too there's still work that needs to be done by the player in finding sourcing and farming the material and of course fueling the furnace if that's the the mode that we're talking about i think because um rosie mentioned like heat and irradiation in her uh email that i just start thinking about furnaces and what else you could you could like use heat to make that change um and to me um that would also eliminate the need for mojang to like figure out how to generate this new block in the world like you think about um amethyst and calcite and geodes and and um is it smooth basalt that's out the outside of them i think it's smooth basalt that's um that's on the outside yeah of yeah it's the, the one that you smelt to get it otherwise yeah yeah and so that's that's the thing that you know like all that had to be considered into you know distribution and if you're dealing with any kind of new ores then that would have to be considered and i feel like just making the player you know turn it into something else uh to get the new block is is a still something that requires gameplay but it does not require quite as much um integration into the natural world i guess because it's a player made thing it's kind of like concrete right like i mean concrete you need sand and gravel and dye but then you get concrete powder and solid concrete but neither of those are found anywhere in the world like they're completely made by the player yeah um for me uh because of the whole smelting thing stuck in my brain i thought it would be cool to double fire iron to get a uh a cast iron texture so similar to an anvil or a cauldron if you wanted to have your iron bars you could still have the shiny iron bars but if you fired them again you would get the the darker iron bars uh, or vice versa depending on which would make more sense maybe the change would be your natural iron bars are the like the raw iron and if you wanted the shiny ones then you'd have to smelt them again to get them uh, i'd be okay with that because after a certain point now that we've got bamboo in the game like it's a pretty easy way to get some infinite fuel for your furnaces and it's not like it would be um difficult but it would also be fun to set up a you know an infinite fuel system and then be able to turn all your uh, iron blocks or iron you know made things into the kind of stuff that you want maybe people want to go the other way with lanterns maybe they want shiny lanterns instead of the more bluey gray lanterns that we have now and so that could be a fun way to kind of just change the the color of something or the texture of something uh in in a um in a, a furnace and the other thing that i was thinking about was we've got things like smooth basalt although it's crafted differently um but then we've got deep slate but what if you could take deep slate and smelt it and it would then smooth it out and give you a lighter gray to bridge between deep slate and natural stone and I, again, like I, I don't think we need another great block in the game, you know, because of the comment about inventory. But I feel like there could be some interesting changes in texture because there are some blocks I find that they're the right color, but the texture is too noisy and I don't want to use them. They yeah. don't fit the specific use case. Or I find not the specific, I find over and over again, they don't fit my use case. And I thought, man, if I could just make this texture not so noisy not so aggressive then it would really really work in this situation and i find i i often think that so having the uh established mechanic of putting something in a furnace to then smooth it out like stone becoming smooth stone i think that that's an interesting idea and i'm trying to think about like other blocks that we could smooth out 
um, calcite is is a cool looking block, but it, some people might want it to be whiter and smoother, you know, and, and smoothing that out in a, in a furnace could be kind of cool. Um, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, uh, but what if you fired coral blocks in the furnace to keep them from losing their color if they're not adjacent to water in the world? Yeah, yeah, like there's there's definitely some merit to that. Like I, I've been using a bit of coral recently for some behind the scenes stuff and thinking it's really hard to work with in other ways. And I think that's obviously part of the point, <laughs> mechanically speaking, yes. the, the whole yeah. idea is that you have to keep it adjacent to water to keep it alive. But even then, it it seems like that's mechanically speaking putting players in a situation where they they find it too difficult to work with too much of a challenge and they don't want to deal with it i mean mechanically speaking it might be more consistent to wax coral to keep it its color you know inconsistent with like the um uh the copper blocks and how we how we deal with that it's yeah. funny that we didn't come up with coral when someone was talking about waxing and that mechanic a few episodes ago in an email that we didn't you know put coral forth as something that we'd like to keep from changing um because i think one of the the things with corals is that it changes so fast that people just they either use it gray or they don't use it at all because the, there's no in between like it's just it's it, it has that difficulty level as well um i mean some of it's been opened up since we've been able to waterlog blocks that helps with the coral but not as much as i think people would like yeah and as as far as other examples for this email i this is the kind of thing that when i get put on the spot about it i can't think of anything but the, all of these come up as like you know <laughs> yeah. occasional ideas that somebody just something will jog my memory and i'll go wait a second what if so apologies if i'm not contributing to this too much right now but i do love the charred wood idea i think that's a really neat one for yeah. stuff like wasteland builds and like when areas are meant to look kind of burnt out and you don't have anything that looks convincing enough like a wood plank or a you know you have to kind of work with other stuff you put like magma blocks in as though there are cinders that are still smoldering and you can do some stuff like that but i do love the idea of having like a charred black wood like a tree that's been struck by lightning or something like that i think that'd be uh be a really fun addition and you know if you want to just make that a charcoal block so that it's also a fuel but you can you know just have like a a charred looking log i i wouldn't mind that at all yeah, I mean, you look at any kind of used campfire uh, in real life and the charcoal is, is a light gray. It's not black, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think that having that that extra kind of texture would be would be great. I like the idea of like having that old barn wood look. I'm not sure if you have that around the area, you know, where you are. But uh, around here, a lot of the barns out in the, out in the, the farmlands will end up being bleached by the sun and then uh, be gray and weathered and... Uh, sometimes even in modern architecture, people will like bring found wood in and create like unique structures and stuff with it. And that could be very fun in both kind of like, you know, any kind of medieval or futuristic, you know, or, or modern times build in, in Minecraft. Sure. Yeah. Lots to think about. And if nothing else, maybe a texture pack <laughs> every, every so often, maybe we can allow ourselves that. Um, in the meantime, though, I want to talk about for our main discussion this week, what makes a Minecraft world feel like home? And I've been thinking about this for a few different reasons. Uh, we're, we're kind of approaching the end of the year, which is, I think, a good time for reflection and sentimentality. Um, and I've frequently seen lately Minecraft subreddit posts on r slash Minecraft where people have lost their worlds, whether it's to data corruption or, you know, a death in hardcore mode or something like that. And they've been sharing like memorial screenshots of a world being like, this is the last photo I took of my world before I had to move on. 
Um, looping back to our conversation about whether hardcore mode is on its way for Bedrock Edition, that could mean a, a fresh wave of hardcore players getting attached to worlds and then losing them. But also, from my own perspective, I've been focused on themes of preserving a world and averting threats to it recently throughout Season 2 of Empire's SMP. So I wanted to talk a little about how we tend to form closer sentimental attachments to Minecraft worlds, which, you know, from the outside seem like a very disposable thing. You can create them, you can recreate the exact same landscape with the same seed, but once we've started getting attached to them, we consider them vital, we consider them worth defending, and we mourn them when they are lost. And I sort of thought we should have a discussion about why Minecraft worlds end up meaning so much to us over time. Before we get into the meat of it, one thing I am curious about with the changes to to Bedrock, if if that ends up going towards the idea of having hardcore in Bedrock, I wonder if we saw the demographic in terms of ages of Bedrock players versus, say, Java players, and I'm wondering what, like, that permadeath, you know, having to delete your world when you, uh, when you die uh, in hardcore mode how that's going to affect the player base if if the the demographic that plays bedrock is younger as i'm assuming that it is that plays java um because i'm just curious how younger players will handle that yeah i mean it's one thing and then it's it's kind of i can see the edge of your seat entertainment when you're watching an adult (laughs) on youtube that's playing a hardcore world and they're worried about dying and losing access to the world but it's a different thing when and I'm not a parent, so don't quote me on this, but I imagine it's a very different thing when your six-year-old is playing a hardcore world and dies and has to say goodbye to it. But that's a different conversation, uh, and I'm curious as to how how that will be received. You know? Yeah. See, that's why spectator mode is such a valuable piece of the puzzle because the implementation of spectator mode meant that when you died, you could spectate that world. And on Bedrock Edition, there's a very easy toggle for enabling cheats and putting yourself back in survival mode using the player mode menu and the 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 incentive not to do that is that you lose the ability to gather achievements from that world um which to long-term console players who've already gathered the achievements in other worlds it doesn't matter as much but it makes more sense than it does on java edition because you're still removing part of the experience because you can no longer gather achievements you're just you know, allowing yourself to continue in that world after a, after a death. Whereas on Java, there are various things that lock you from using cheats. And the, the thing you can do is enable your world to LAN and enable cheats that way, and then put yourself back in survival if, if you care that much. Or edit the NBT data of your world if you care that much. So I think there is still a way out for those players like there's still a way that either they or you know their their parents if a kid is going to be too upset about it can still resolve that as long as they're okay with enabling cheats for that world i guess um so there's still consequences but perhaps the consequences are more limited when spectator mode is available to them but i think even then the the thing that gets everybody attached to minecraft initially i think is that it's a simulation of real life but is still removed from it enough that it makes it interesting like minecraft is a survival game but survival is a very simple concept in minecraft you kill anything that tries to kill you and you make sure you eat regularly uh which in a sense makes it a good escape from the complexities of day-to-day life 
but we still find ourselves simulating real life within that. You know, we build, when we build houses, like when you've been building the houses in West Hill on the Citadel, you've been thinking about the lives of people who inhabit those houses. You build a place that's got a bedroom and a kitchen, and you, you know, you create a home from scratch and you start to feel a sense of ownership and a sense of story. And, you know, if, if like, there's a Minecraft equivalent of, like, home is where the heart is, it's home is where you respawn, right? Um, right. So I think there's, there's a certain amount of real-life simulation and a certain amount of projection that comes into play there where you are, you're inhabiting your Minecraft world in a sense that's more than just playing a video game. I wonder if the sense, of the, the, the lack of a hand-holding progression through the game and and a a finite end to a minecraft world is also part of what comes into play here is the fact that nobody's going to tell you when the experience is done and that feels a lot like real life in a sense is that you know you don't have a a set of objectives and then credits roll it's like you've you've constantly got to be thinking about what to do next and so part of the the sandbox survival game formula that's been perfected i think by games like minecraft is that you 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 have infinite amounts of stuff that you can do and you just have to have the imagination and the time to do it all. Yeah, I think that what struck me about Minecraft and why I got attached to the world and how I could see other players getting attached to the world was not so much the survival simulation part of it, it was the control. Um, and granted, like, you know, zombies and creepers and things are, are not within your control and we all would like to control villagers, but it's a pain in the butt. Um, <laughs> of course. It, for me, it was like, I can totally understand how kids, especially, uh, in a world where you have to go to school, you have to go to bed on time, you have to eat what's on your plate, like all these things that you just, you're told what to do for the first chunk of your life. Uh, and in Minecraft, it's like, if you don't like that block there, move it and you can. You know, and it's just a matter of how much time you want to spend moving things around. Uh, and then adults, you know, like maybe your neighbor's house is an ugly color. Maybe they have a loud dog. Maybe they never mow their lawn. But in your neighborhood in Minecraft, everything is exactly how you want it. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that level of control is really interesting to me. And, and one of the reasons why um, I think not only I got attached to Minecraft, but why I, I also play a long term world in that it's everything has been crafted especially in my areas i mean there's more of us on the server than just me but in in my specific areas or things that i've had a hand in they look just the way i want them or at least to the best of my ability at the time and and i feel like that level of of control and that might be the artist in me as well and and like you know when you're controlling a drawing or you're, you're trying to get it to look the way that you want when you do that thing where you're happy with it and you step away from it you go yeah that's done and I, I, there's that, that level of control, I think is something that really appeals to Minecraft, but I've never been pulled to the survival side of Minecraft. I've never done a hardcore world. Um, I think I've mentioned a number of times on this show that I'm not a big fan of the early gameplay in Minecraft. And I kind of want to get past it as soon as I can, um, because I more enjoy like the exploring and the building and, and that aspect of it. Um, so it's funny that I don't necessarily get attached to like the Minecraft world, like the, the generation, um, that might change as I do more exploration in one nineteen though, because I do find that those features are really cool and you do much to the, I mean, tip of the hat to the Mojang crew. When you find a dripstone cave, like the one that I found, uh, on the Abba caving run on Friday, like 
I part of me was a little sad that this wasn't something I was going to be building in. Like, yeah, I was sure. I found this amazing thing and it was just like I am here to destroy it. Like I'm here to rip the minerals out of it as fast as I can. I'm trying not to look around. And part of me was just reminding myself like, oh, I'm on a timer. Like I need to move on. While the other part of me is like, wow, look at this place. And you're kind of like stopping and looking around. And and I feel like that kind of stuff with the uniqueness of 119, uh, de, uh, not development, um, generation. I, I feel I can see people getting even attached just to the world. Like not, yeah. not even something you've built, but just like an area, a um, unique biome or a unique setup where you've got this special rare you know you, i i it's that term i feel is thrown around a lot these days but you know like you've got that that rare combination of biomes and caves and structures that you're just kind of like this is fantastic i've got so many ideas and if you then lose that i can see that being real a real problem because it isn't even something that you built right like it's it's something that was a random generation yeah you know? i mean i yeah. guess you'd have the seed that you could always try it again but yeah, but it doesn't feel the same. Like it, it's no. the the other thing I was thinking about during this concept was like a Minecraft world is like a a canvas that we're constantly adding to, and sometimes even by subtracting from it. <laughs> in the case of like the fact that you've gone in and ripped out all of the resources from a dripstone cave and and going into deep slate and whatnot, like that still tells a story. That's still you know an experience that you had, and and maybe part of it is like the memories of those experiences and and keeping those with us and thinking oh that i remember when we built that together and that that's kind of like a human connection that you've made with somebody but even individual worlds like it's it's an artistic effort you know even by subtracting from it if you're someone who likes to dig giant holes you are still having an impact on the world and it feels like you're doing something with that blank canvas and to lose a world that you've put that artistic effort into you feel like a painter losing their work in a house fire, you know, like recreating it seems, if not necessarily impossible, then sometimes sometimes it can feel kind of more hollow, like the brushstrokes don't fall the same way again, you're not going to find the same thing about a world that you found previously, and that initial spark of inspiration is not going to be there in the same way. I think it would take a different mindset to really go, well, I could reproduce absolutely everything that I did before, and feel content in doing that. Um, it also comes from something that you touched on earlier, chasing that idea of a project being finished. And I think that's quite rare in Minecraft circles. Like, I don't... Aside from people who build set pieces, creative builds, whatever, like, I feel like even in survival, I don't recall many times when I really felt like a project was done. There will always be something about it that I could have changed, something I could have made better, lessons that I've learned along the way that I would rebuild the stuff that I built again except for the idea that that is sunk cost in a way um, there will always be places in the world that we haven't discovered and builds left unfinished and so if you lose a Minecraft world before you feel like it's fulfilled its potential in that way that can also be something that's you know emotionally affecting in one way or another yeah I think comparing it creatively to something like art uh there's definitely a parallel. Like I, you know, as a professional illustrator, you've done that thing where you've forgotten to save recently and the file crashes or, or worse, something has happened and the file is corrupt. It doesn't happen nearly as often these days as it did like early in my career when technology wasn't up to snuff or Photoshop didn't have autosave, you know, back then. And it, you'd be frustrated and like really disheartened, especially 
with anything creative, if you're doing it at, a, at a, that kind of level, uh, then there's a certain flow. There's a certain, I call them happy accidents. You know, like there's a certain gesture of your hand um, that got you just the line that you wanted and recreating that is going to be really difficult because you no longer even have a reference to look at as to how you got there uh, because it was your original uh, thing. And, and I feel like there's something similar in, in Minecraft. When you reach a certain level in Minecraft in terms of your familiarity with the game and you start to just kind of like flow and like I'll create hallways and like, oh, this is a cool place for an alleyway in my town. And if I lost, you know, something happens where, the, you know, like the server got corrupted and I have backups. So back up your world, folks, if you have the ability to do it, do it. Yes, that that's um, a holiday PSA from me and Joel to you. Mm -hmm. Back up your worlds this Christmas. Very easy to do on a server. All you have to do is just go into your admin section and download the world and just like rename it something and tuck it on your computer or an external hard drive somewhere uh, and, and do it that way. If it's really important, then make a copy and give it to a friend um, as well. But uh, stuff like that, I, I feel like when you when you lose that kind of progress, like going back into Minecraft and Minecraft is more specific in that because of the blocky nature of it, like you could recreate the thing. But I, like you said, I would not find the same joy uh, in recreating it. And unless I had a recording, like, I mean, you and I have the advantage of like, if we're doing something on Twitch, uh, or if you're recording something for, um, for YouTube, then like, even if you lost the world, if you still had the video file, like you could really go back and see block for block what you were doing and recreate it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that would be, you know, something potentially time saving, or I guess in your case, you'd also have, uh, depending on, on the build, you might have like Matica, like you might have lost a, a, a build, like in halfway through a light light Matica build, you could just take the template again and, and just start from scratch. It's a pain and no one likes doing the exact same thing that they just did over again. I have that happen sometimes if I'm editing a podcast and premiere crashes or like whatever it is, like redoing something that you just did creatively is annoying. Um, I find that for me, my attachment to the Citadel is I find it, it's hinging a lot on that I don't want to start over and that early part of the game is not something I necessarily enjoy as much. And because we've put in so much work over the last five years on the Citadel, like all of the infrastructure that we would have starting over would be gone. Now, on one hand, the positive there is that you'd have a clean slate and you could do all kinds of things. You could do things differently. You could take a look at the mistakes that you've made and maybe move on from there. But for me, it's just stuff that we've already done. And my kind of like, grip on the citadel is that i don't want to start over if i want to start over experience i could rp that i can just like leave all my stuff behind and go a thousand blocks or ten thousand blocks in a certain direction and, and pretend to start over um but i think that part of that view which differs greatly from you know the sentimentality that you're talking about is because as a content creator minecraft quickly moved from a hobby into a big part of my job and I've always had that separation. And I think it comes from being um, not criticized is the wrong word, but having like reviews and revisions as an animator, uh, you just kind of quickly learn that nothing is precious mm -hmm. in your professional work. So stuff that I drew at work, I would do my best, but I wouldn't care about it as much as something that I drew at home. Sure. And yeah. so if I lost a file at work, well, it's fine. It sucks. I might have to stay late and fix it but it's not the end of the world. Or if someone says this isn't working very well, I need you to reanimate it so it's better. 
I wouldn't be that hurt about it because like, I'm just, I I'm doing, it's making a product and it's yeah. got a different emotional attachment to it when it is for work. And part of me working from home for as long as I have, I start to think about things in Minecraft as work, as fun as it is. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I don't, I don't drag <laughs> myself to work every day. I get to play Minecraft for, for work a lot of the time, which I enjoy immensely, but if something were to happen and I was to lose something, it was like, all right, well, I guess we just move on. Like it would, I would be angry. I wouldn't be sad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's one of those things where I would just like, all right. But like at the same time, I would just, I would pick up and move on straight away because it's just, it's the next step. That's just what you do when you're plugging away at, at a, at a job. And I giant air quotes there because again, it's, it's very, very fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think we often end up focusing more on, this sort of intangible destination than the fun we're having along the way but i think if you can separate that out if you can be like well the 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 product here is a fun time <laughs> rather than it being like some kind of finished minecraft world that you're like i am done with this this is a project i can move on from then it, it starts to make more sense but yeah the idea that we put enough time and effort into something that to lose it as a product of that time and effort that that feels like a sincere loss that feels like well i was working towards that and now it's just been annihilated like that that's something that's difficult for a lot of people to reckon with and the the one thing i want to round this off with is saying that there is certainly room for a lot of people to consider both angles of that like you look at people like um agnes larson who is now the gameplay lead like the game director of minecraft and is still holding on to a world that she's had for 10 years that she probably you know plays with family and has all of these memories held on to through that world and it's become such a key part of minecraft's sort of prime directive as it were um to make sure that future updates are going to be compatible with worlds from the past that even when the terrain was changing in huge ways in 1.18 they understand that these worlds mean enough to people that they want to make sure that nothing they do changes that. Or if it does, it changes it for the better and it improves stuff around what people have already built because the stuff within those boundaries is precious to people. And that's something to hold on to. And once again, a PSA from us back up your worlds um but that's where we're going to leave it for this episode of the spawn chunks hope you enjoyed the discussion folks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can participate in live show recordings as they happen, and stuff like monthly Minecraft audio hangouts, the next one of which, as I said at the top of the show, will be happening in January. We're currently at 326 patrons, which is down 14 from last week. First of the month, Patreon processing still going through. And if you're interested in, you know, giving yourself an early Christmas present, <laughs> then consider becoming a patron. Special thanks, of course, go to our content engineer patrons hunter555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you so much for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast just tell a friend about the spawn chunks and that they can listen on itunes spotify google podcasts and even youtube be sure to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite platform 
And you can email the show, which is separate from a review, at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at the spawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I've been mostly working on Empires Season 2, dabbling in a bit of YouTube shorts here and there. Would love to know what you think. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Quick links to everything are on joelduggan.com. Uh, that includes the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. Talked a lot about Wednesday, the new show on Netflix this past week. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where Fridays we are building the Back to the Future time machine in Lego. And on weekends we are playing Minecraft. And over the holidays, expect some extra streams. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but there's no place like Spawn.